lesson from Genesis. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out to gather with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. The word of the Lord, my brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Noah, he built him an arky arky. I say those words and you probably have the tune in your head almost immediately. If you ever went to camp or your Sunday school lesson included a typical Bible study song like that, What we have before us is the tail end of the lesson that is taught to even the smallest of Sunday school students. And yet we live in a world that seems to be traveling as fast as it possibly can away from any Judeo-Christian values, any acknowledgement of Scripture, or any value in Scripture whatsoever. And yet, I would suggest to you that in the coming weeks, if you wanted to take a little time on a Saturday morning, and go to Toyland at Farm and Fleet or any other large department store with its display of seasonal Christmas toys by the thousands, mass-marketed, I would suspect very strongly you'll find either a puzzle or a game or a book or something representing Noah and the Ark. There is a cuteness factor to this particular scriptural account. And the animals certainly play a significant role in that cuteness factor. The details of the animal husbandry displayed by Noah and his family in this Genesis account are simply amazing. I think even an experienced and well-trained zookeeper would find it fascinating how they could actually accomplish this. But this ancient lesson from the Bible has a, an abundance of other details that are anything but cute. And the most obvious of all of them would certainly have to be the fact that every living, breathing thing, human and animal, that did not get on that boat died in that deluge. It was very likely the very first heavy rainfall they had ever seen or experienced. And Noah spent almost two average human lives of modern times 
in speaking to them and preaching to them about the coming destruction, about the promises of God as he and his sons built his enormous floating zoo craft that was exactly by God's specifications in every last detail. There are so many people-centric elements of this reality that you and I would like to know so much more about that are left undocumented. The facts given to us here are more framework-oriented because biology and psychology and sociology were not really the interest of Moses, the inspired writer, as he's on the top of the mountain with God, having God share this story with him for the purpose of it being recorded, first for the Old Testament people of Israel and then for all of humanity for the rest of time. It was the spiritual realities most in his focus. And clearly, the complete depravity of humanity, I mean, it says it so obviously, every inclination of the human heart is only evil from childhood. And in balance to that, the awesome and ultimate goodness of our God and the spiritual realities, they're simply brutal. The created world had existed for some time at this point, and yet, if you follow along in the genealogies presented at the beginning of Genesis, you discover pretty quickly that Adam and Noah are really only a generation between them apart by lineage. And thus, God's personal instruction with his human creation, his interaction with his human creation, including that first rebuke to Adam and Eve, and then his immediate response of gospel promise of grace and compassion in, in telling them about a descendant of theirs that would come and crush Satan's head. All of that, the promise of salvation brought by a human Messiah, all of that was truly and potentially only second-hand knowledge to any living human being on the earth at this moment, and yet the lives they lived were all but godless, despite their proximity to God's saving truth. By the time God personally shut those eight people onto that ark with his own hand, we are given the impression that they are the only believers left on the face of the earth willing to do what God has told them to do, willing to get on board, trusting enough of the eternal word to follow his will. There may be days in your life when you feel as though you're the only believer in your context. Maybe you're, you and your family or your family of believers are the only believers left on the face of the earth. But I guarantee you, no matter how bad that day may be, no matter what you are experiencing, it cannot begin to compare to the reality that Noah and Noah's family were facing as the storm clouds gathered on the horizon. But our lesson actually is about the moment when it was finally time to disembark after long, more than a year living on a barge. That's pretty much what it was, is an enormous barge that served 
as a house and a farm and a zoo all at the same time. God had made incredible promises to Noah and his family, and they believed God. God fulfilled every promise to them completely and gave them an entirely new world to live in and by his declaration in these verses to repopulate. That's an interesting personal mission statement. Later, scriptural commentary reminds us that God had to save them in order to save all human beings, all human beings of all time, before and after Noah's family lived. And in saving them, God was saving you. God was saving all of us and all whom we love. And how did he do that? He did that with candid conversation, with demonstrations of power and action coupled with kindness and mercy for not only all the humans involved in the situation, but all of the animal life as well. And it must have been an anxious and fearful moment for those eight human beings when God opened that door and invited them to step back onto dry land and resume normal human life for the first time in a very, very long time. So it should never surprise us that someone so touched by God's promises, by God's power and compassion and generosity and saving mercy, would respond so immediately and so profoundly with worship and praise, but also with confession and reliance and trust. Notice how Noah only sacrificed clean animals. Those were the only animals any believer was ever allowed to sacrifice by God. In short order, God would, in the subsequent chapter, give them permission to also now eat only clean animals. They would be dependent for some time to come on the supply of clean animals for both their worship and their food. Remember that as the animals began to show up for Noah to place on the ark and determine exactly how he was going to handle them, they came two by two, right? But if you're not as familiar with the account, you don't realize that when it came to the clean animals, there was at least seven of each of them. God was making sure that while his people were on the ark, there was probably a little bit of repopulation going on already before they arrived back at the moment of dry ground. And so there was a supply of clean animals in that moment. But Noah sacrificed some of all of them on a burning altar immediately upon disembarking from the ark. What does this mean to you? 
What does it mean for you in the way that you live your life and the way that you worship your God? I hope you see that Noah is expressing his complete hope, his trust, his reliance toward the Creator God who had just saved him. How his Creator God had not only saved him, but his family and all the other living creatures that surrounded him in that moment, maybe still filing off the ark while Noah and his family worshipped. I suspect strongly that Noah and his family worshipped also with words, with song, and with praise. But Noah showed with his actions, his praise, his worship, his thanksgiving, and ultimately demonstrated his complete surrender to the only being who could do all that God had done for him to date and who had promised him so much about the future, not only the immediate future after getting off the ark, but the eternal future as well. What Noah did in that moment, really in every way, was express his complete devotion to his Savior. Noah also expressed the need for every other living creature, human and animal, in the process of its days, of its living out its life to express devotion, worship, trust, reliance, hope in the Creator God who is also our eternal Savior. The Bible has page after page after page after page of promises from God. We possess and know so much more about our God and all of his promises to humanity than Noah could have possibly known in that moment, since in Noah's case it was all oral tradition handed down by the generations that came before. You and I can look back through the scriptures on fulfillment of God's promises in beautiful and profound ways, especially in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah that God chose to send into the world at expressly the moment he had forecast to the place with the identity and the abilities that he had forecast. All of those promises fully kept in every way in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet you and I also have thousands of years of God's faithful history with his people and with his world to look back on. Perfect behavior of an all-powerful, compassionate, saving God invested in his human creation every moment of every day from creation to this moment. All which Noah did not have in his moment. Yet, we live our lives with such fear and frustration. Why is that? God's biggest promise of all clearly was regarding the payment for human sin and the path to eternal life. God's biggest promise was in balance specifically to this concept of the evil of the human heart is inclined towards darkness from earliest childhood. We can't help ourselves. We can't do anything for ourselves. We absolutely need God's intervention. Every human being that's ever walked on the face of the earth has known in their heart 
that they were not perfect, that they were flawed, that they were broken, that there was really nothing they could actually accomplish that could make them flawless and perfect, if that is what God was demanding. And it's clear in the Word that that's exactly what He expects from anyone who's going to live with Him forever. And so the biggest promise of God absolutely had to be about His intervention in that reality. And so He became one of us by taking on human flesh to live the perfect life under God's law that we couldn't live because of the inclination of our human hearts. He walked that path through pain, persecution, humiliation, and death. And then on the third day, He walked straight out of His grave to guarantee that you and I had a perfect payment for our sin as His righteousness is given to us as a robe to wear in our moment of judgment and also have absolute guarantee that we also will walk away from our graves at one moment in the future when we will know the same eternity that was promised to Noah and his family and everyone else who believed his proclamation of God's word in the days before the flood. When you consider those promises and then look specifically at the promises at the end of this lesson, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Which is the bigger promise to keep? Is it about controlling weather and climate on a daily basis? Or is it controlling a human nature that's under siege for every moment of existence through 30-plus years on this earth, decades of life with a world and a Satan influencing that world to be relentlessly ferocious in every possible temptation it could drive his way? so that he could be perfect for you. Is not, or rather, is not ending human existence because of human rebellion and sin harder to do after spending oneself completely in the saving plan that pays for all of their sins? Or not? Noah knew the promises of God out in the future. And yet Noah trusted that God would not allow his creation to be completely destroyed by other human beings without intervening and acting and following his promises. You and I have the kept promises of God regarding our forgiveness and our eternal salvation in bold relief across the pages of Scripture, with application of what it means to our daily lives and how we live and think, set our priorities and carry on our responsibilities and relationships. We have so much more than the ancients had. You and I surrounded by so much doom and gloom from so many directions really all directions, and, and the people on the opposite ends of the spectrum even seem to agree on one fact, that human beings have so messed up our reality in this moment that it might be the worst moment that humanity has ever known, and we've got to figure out a way to fix it together somehow, even though we can't get along about anything. 
read the full account of the flood from Genesis and realize just what nonsense that really is. The depth of depravity of the early human race before the flood. Yeah, okay, human beings have been devolving every moment since then, and the nonsense that we've created as we invent new ways to sin every day has taken things completely the opposite direction of what God ever wanted or willed. But God has made a promise that he's never going to allow human beings to destroy themselves and all believers along with them without his powerful intervention, his compassion and his grace and his saving power coming to bear on the human situation. God is all about our eternal salvation. God is all about your eternal salvation. God is all about everyone's eternal salvation. Noah was certain about that. He trusted God in a moment that had to seem just crazy insane to any human being that even begins to understand and consider the reality that he faced and that he lived in those moments. 150 years building a boat that nobody had ever built a boat before probably because there wasn't any water nearby. Proclaiming to a world that didn't want to hear it a message from God that they needed to hear in order to have any hope of eternity. Promise after promise after promise is where God would have us turn in his word in the moments that most challenge us to realize that he has kept every last one of them in full and intends to keep every one of them in our future in the eternal future, no moment, no moment or movement is too big for God. And his promises. No moment or movement is so trivial to escape God's notice and God's care. Not in your life, not in your workplace, not in your community, not in your nation, not in your world. In every moment, never look away from God's promises. And never overlook any of God's generous promises to you. And you will never have reason, you will never fail to have reason, to join Noah and his family in worship and thanksgiving in response to God's goodness to you and to the world in which you live and to the world that you hope for beyond this life. You may proclaim that name as Noah did to the world and it may not want to hear it from you, but don't stop proclaiming, praising, worshiping, sacrificing, because there will come a moment in your reality where the things you only hope for, like things Noah only hoped for, will be yours in full. 
and forever. God has promised it. Big promises, little promises, generous promises. Do not overlook a single one. Amen. Please stand. We'll grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.